it's great to see you. Um, if you're new to Grace Church, just want to say a very special welcome. As you've just gathered, my name is Tim. Uh, you, some of you may not know me, um, and that's because my family and I, we're based in the Chichester site, uh, but we've been let out for the day. It's great. We've come to see you guys by the seaside, so it is absolutely awesome to be here. Now, has it escaped your attention yet that it is, in fact, Mother's Day? Have we got that yet? Is that right? Do you, incidentally, just on a slight aside, do you know how many, statistically, how many people forget Mother's Day every year? It's 20%, right? Yeah, I know, I know. And if you're one of those 20%, just um, know this, right? I've forgotten before, okay? Um, it does happen. It's, you're going to survive. It's all right. Just, you know, get to the shops quick afterwards. That's all I'm saying, all right? <laughs> all right. Uh, but this morning, we're not going to be preaching into Mother's Day. We are going to be carrying on with Exodus. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 32. But before we uh, delve into that, I've just got a little bit of an experiment for, this mo- for us this morning. Um, it involves a question, right? And, and my daughter came up with this last week. She came up to me and she asked me uh, this question. And so I thought, my goodness, that's, that's actually really, really helpful. So we, we can look at that now. Now, um, I think you need a volunteer. Is, um, Simo, can I borrow you, mate, just real quick? I say I need a volunteer. I'm just picking on Simo. Um, <laughs> so here's, here's what my daughter did. She came up to me and she asked me this question. Right. But the interesting thing about this question is you're not allowed to hesitate. You're not allowed to pause. You have to come up with the first thing that drops into your brain. Okay? Now, that's the whole point. That's why I picked on you. <laughs> right. So, okay. Sorry. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. All right. I, I'll, I'll fess up later as well. Right. So you have, to, you have to come up with the first thing that comes into your brain. But my daughter comes up to me and she says, Daddy, just imagine that I'm a genie and I've just come out of the bottle. What's the one thing that you want? Go. Water. Water. <laughs> there you go. That's a safe answer. <laughs> There you go. Right. So, to be fair, to be fair, was was I mean, did he, was the hesitation there? Did he cheat? A slight hesitation. There's a slight hesitation. I I was expecting, knowing Simo, I was expecting to something. I was expecting Liverpool to win the cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, he's a Liverpool fan, by the way. He keeps it quiet, but he's a Liverpool fan. Um, you know, it it, 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 it. You didn't want to go for world peace. No, I didn't think of world peace. All right, fair enough. I'll let I'll pee out your misery. Go on. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Water. Okay. But it's a, it's a really interesting exercise. It's a really interesting exercise because um, quite often you'll, you'll get all sorts of answers. I've tried this on a couple of people now. You get all sorts of answers. But quite often what you'll get is like an instant insight into that person's life, their thoughts, what they, what they go for. Right? Now, uh, would you like to know what I went for? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, no, I will, but I'll do it later. How about that? Is that all right? Because we're going to come back to this because... You, you might think, well, that was a bit of a pointless exercise, but bear with me. We're going to reference this again. Um, but let's, let's come to the Bible, okay? So we're in Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to be looking at the whole chapter. So there's quite a lot to get through there. Uh, so if you want to open your Bibles or grab those Bible apps, get them ready to go, um, we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, just before we read it, let me give you a little bit of context as well, because context, when it comes to these Bible verses, is really, really important. So if you're familiar with the story of Exodus, the nation of Israel, they have been in slavery to Egypt for 400 years until God frees them. 
And to do this, this story along the way is absolutely astonishing, culminating with God parting the waters of the Red Sea, the Israelites literally walking between the held back waters and making it through to the other side. Whilst this is happening, the Egyptian army is chasing them across the seabed, and as the last of the Israelites makes it to the other side, waters come back together, the entirety of the Egyptian army is destroyed, and the Israelites are set free from their oppressors. Beyond that, God's been leading them through the wilderness, through this desert. God has literally provided for every need, their material needs. He has given them miraculous provision of food. During that time, the Bible says that God led the people with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. This is spectacular stuff. And I would like to think that if I was on that journey, if I was an Israelite there at the time and had seen all of that, then my faith and reverence for God would be right up there. Wouldn't you? Yeah. So after a few weeks, they come to the base of Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up and down the mountain several times to meet with God himself. And the people have to wait at the bottom. And just before chapter 32, Moses goes up the mountain, and he's given a whole load of instructions by God, including the Ten Commandments, and he's up there for 40 days. And during this time, the Israelites, they're waiting at the bottom for Moses to get back. And then we get to chapter 32. So let's read this together. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So they all took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He, he took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who have brought, up, brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got, got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bound down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who you brought up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that you may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore... Uh, by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be, inherit it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring his, uh, bring his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
When Joshua heard the noise and the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burnt. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them in such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who was who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That's what my teenager would say. Right. So Moses saw that people were running wild and that Aaron had led them out of control. Led them, let them go out of control. So he became, so they became a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, "Whoever is the Lord for the Lord, come to me." And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each getting his brother and friend and neighbor." And the Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about three thousand people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart for the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin that these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. There you go. Quite a lot going on there. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Um, So... So to pray, see the whole thing, right? So the Israelites have set up camp at the bottom of this mountain. Moses goes up to talk to God, and he's up there a while, 40 days. The Israelites, they're just kind of sat around waiting, and they end up cobbling together what they've got, and they make a golden statue of a cow. And then they worship that cow as if it were God. Now, let's not forget the context here. They've seen the parting of the Red Sea. They've seen the destruction of Egypt's armies. They've seen the miraculous uh, provision. They've even seen God leading them through literally a pillar of fire. And then all of a sudden, after a few weeks of hanging around, they basically get bored, make a statue of a cow, worship it, and they even get to the point where they say this about it. These are your gods, Israel, who who brought you up out of Egypt. I mean, like, so they've given up on God, built a cow, and they give the cow... All the credit for what God has done for them over what is only the last about two and a half months. Now, is it my imagination, or do the Israelites seem really stupid at this point? Like, as decisions go, this is not smart. And we have to ask the question, why? Why did they do this? After everything they've been through, after everything they've seen, 
Why is it all of a sudden they think that this would be a really good idea? And there's a clue in the passage. And it's a clue to what the problem might be. So if you go to verse 4, it just says that Aaron took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. So the Bible here is given a specific name to this golden cow, the golden calf. It is an idol, right? So the, the Israelites have built an idol for themselves. This is why this is such a problem. And that's what we're looking at here this morning. We're looking at this theme of idolatry. And if we can get our heads around that, then we could quite rightly ask the question, well, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and me sitting here this morning in Bognor Regis by the seaside? Because we're not the Israelites, okay? We're not in the same situation as them. We're not at the bottom of a mountain. We've got a few thousand years of wisdom and experience over these guys. And we could argue we're, we're more enlightened. We're better educated. We're not so easily fooled. And I don't know about you, but I'm guessing here, most of us probably haven't got a statue of a cow in our homes that we worship every night. Any volunteers? But here's the thing, right? We need to see beyond the golden calf. We need to look, why? Why did the Israelites build this thing after all they'd seen and done? This is a group of thousands of people, young, old, and it's an entire nation of people. And it would be so quick to dismiss them as just being stupid or foolish. But they did this. So we have to ask the question, do we have the propensity to do something similar with our lives? In other words, do we have idols right here in the 21st century? And if we do, why is that a problem? And and, and if it is a problem, what should we do about it? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So the first thing we're going to look at is this. What and why do we have idols? The second thing we're going to look at is, what is the problem with idols? The third thing is, what can be done about idols? And then we're going to pray. Up for that? Marvellous. Let's go. Cool. So, firstly, what what are idols? Well, if you look up the definition of an idol or idolatry in in a Bible dictionary, it literally defines it as this. Image worship or divine honour paid to any created object. And given that anything that isn't God is in fact created, we can assume that idolatry includes anything we worship that isn't God himself. So in other words, an idol is anything that we substitute for God, which is exactly what the Israelites did. They substituted something else for God. They've built this golden calf, they've called it God, and therefore it's an idol. But why did they do it? Well, if we go back into chapter 32, verse 1, It says that when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So, firstly, Moses was delayed in coming back down the mountain. And bear in mind that this would have been a delay of 40 days, five and a half weeks. But to the people of Israel, they they weren't prepared to wait. It's like they're saying, you know, I don't know what's happened to Moses, this is a bit disappointing. Uh, you know, I'm starting to wonder what's happened to him. We're out here in the middle of nowhere, stuck in this wilderness. I don't think I've got the faith for this. I don't like the way this is going. And it's, it's odd. Like The Israelites were parked up there in the middle of nowhere, and despite everything that they'd seen and done, after just a short period of time, they dismissed God and looked to replace him. 
So does this happen in the 21st century today? Is it possible that we could live in a society that disregards God and people will give their hopes, purposes, and meaning to other things? Yeah. Happens all the time. It's everywhere. And here's the reality, right? We live in a world today where millions of people, all day, every day, they worship idols. They wouldn't call it that, but that's actually what's going on. And we'll do it with absolutely anything, apart from, because apart from God, everything is created. And when you meet people, it usually doesn't take long to identify what an idol might be in their life, because quite often, that's what they love beyond anything else. That's what they'll pour their time, their money, their effort, their search history into. It'll be the thing that if it was taken away, they'd, they'd just be devastated. Why? Because it's something they worship. Because it's, it's something that goes before them. It's something that defines them. It's their hope, their purpose, and their meaning in this world. And when you start to look at it, it's absolutely everywhere. We, we will do it with anything. People will idolize careers, influence, power, relationships, children, grandchildren, substances, possessions, you name it. It could be an idol. I'll give you some common examples, okay? So people might idolize relationships. Okay, we, 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 you might well have seen this, right? I met, uh, I, I used to know a couple, and just after they just got married, the husband said this about his wife. She said, she's just absolutely perfect. No, she's not. <laughs> I know, I've been married for 20 years, right? I get feedback, I'm not perfect, right? <laughs> okay, that's a fact, right? People idolize, idolize their kids. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed when you get kids, some people, we can load our hopes and expectations on them. And then we boast about them. Has, it, has anybody ever met, met that smug parent? You met that person? Yeah? Oh, my nine-year-old's got a black belt in judo. Yeah? Good for you. Mine's got a dressing gown too. What's your point? <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah? it's, and that's what, just what you get to see. Right? What they like behind closed doors. Right? Now then, now... <laughs> Now then, Sebastian, you have to work hard. You've got to become a doctor or an investment banker. Make us proud. Like, that's kind of what's being driven here. Why? Why are they doing that to their kids? What if their kids want to do something else with their lives? What if God calls them to something else? Are the parents pushing them that way for the, for the kiddies' benefit, or are they doing it for their own? We do this with material possessions. We idolize stuff. And this is massive in our culture. People will do this with almost anything. We see it with clothes, handbags, watches, sports teams, and cars. Basically, anything that we can get hold of has the potential to become an idol in our lives. For example, how do you know you've met someone with an electric car? Simple. They tell you. Yeah, right? Would this be a good po point to mention that I drive an electric car? <laughs> right? Do you see how I did that? Just slid that in there. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> right? Don't worry, mine's not an idol. It's a Kia. Right? Okay? No, it's, it's totally vanilla. It's invisible. I bet you look out there, you wouldn't see it, right? Nobody in the history of humanity has ever said, oh, look at that Kia. <laughs> right? It's just a fact, right? Just saying. Right? But we do this with stuff. We do this with material things. And here's the thing. I've just pointed out a few things right now, but the question is, what has the potential to be idle in your life? Because if we come back to my daughter's question that we talked about earlier, when she said, Daddy, you know, if a genie could grant you one wish, what would it be? Would you like to know the first thing that popped in my head? 
close. Here it is. Okay, right. When my daughter asked me what I would want if I could have one wish, what was my initial reaction? I want world peace. No. Did I want the whole world to believe in Jesus instantly and for him to come back and, and rapture us all? No. No. My initial reaction is that I want specialized S-Works Turbo Levo SL. Christmas is coming, by the way. Right? <laughs> a 13,500 pound blend of high-tech suspension and carbon fiber. And there is a massive danger that I would ride it, love it, boast about it, clean it, polish it, sleep next to it, and worship it. <laughs> and then get it next, thank you. <laughs> but why? Like, I know me well enough to know that that at least has the potential to be an idol in my life. Right? It's no longer a preach, it's a confession. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing, right? I would be willing to bet that if every single one of us was to take a long, hard look in the mirror... If we were to ask ourselves my daughter's question, we can probably or potentially find an idol in there somewhere. But right before we start beating ourselves up, consider this, right? Let's look at the Israelites again. Consider the situation that they are in. They've all seen, every single one of them has seen incredible miracles. Every single person that was there has walked through the Red Sea. That would have taken some faith, and that would have built some faith. They're camped out in the middle of nowhere. There is literally nothing around. They've got some tents and not a lot else. And even then, even then, they managed to build an idol. If you were to look for a situation that would make it difficult to get into idolatry, then this, I reckon, is probably pretty much the benchmark. But hey, they thought, you know, what have we got? We've got, we've got earrings, right? That'll do. Aaron, make us a god out of earrings because this one is taking too long. Even in that situation, they managed it. And the same is true for us. It's, it's just a humanity thing. In fact, John Calvin uh, famously said that the human heart is an idol factory. And today it's far easier. We live in a globalized, connected world with digital marketing, internet forums, WhatsApp, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and magazines. And the message is constantly pushed to us. You need this. You need this product, this body, this lifestyle, and when you get that, that's, that's when you'll have made it. You'll be truly happy. This is what you need. This is what you need to fulfill you. This will give you hope and purpose and meaning. And so we have to ask the question, well, okay, maybe that's true. So what? What's the problem here? What is the problem with idols? Because I don't know about you, but the pull and temptation to go after this stuff is really quite powerful. It's really easy to do. And once you're involved with it, actually, you might quite like it, at least for a time. So let's go back again to chapter 32. It says, When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. So they did this to the idol, right? So they built this idol. They've declared, this is our new God. And what's the first thing they do with it? They rose up early and gave sacrifices to it. So here's a problem with idols. Idols require sacrifice. You have to put something into them. And that can come in many different forms. We see it here with the Israelites. They were giving burnt offerings. So in other words, 
They had to part with something to give this sacrifice. We know they rose up early. They had to put some time and effort into it. And the same is true for people today. They will sacrifice almost anything in the pursuit of these idols. I'll illustrate this in just a moment. But here's another thing that's problematic with idols. Consider the Israelites again. They've risen up early. They've given sacrifices to their idol, right? What do they get back? What are they going to get back from this idol, this calf? Nothing. It's just a metal statue. It can give nothing. It can't go before them. It's just a lump of metal. And the same is true today. When we idolize something, we're not really going to get anything back. Now, you could argue that if this idol is a person or a relationship, you might get something back. But is it guaranteed? Is it reliable? What happens when things get difficult? Like, I've got kids, right? I love them enormously. Uh, And I'm glad to say they're not an idol in my life, especially as one of them has now become a teenager. Right? Anyone got teenagers? Was I like that? Like, you know, you know, because he answers back, he gets moody, and he thinks I'm boring and uncool, right? That, he's probably right. But I'm not getting much back from him at all at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> right? Okay? But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing with the, that's wrong with idols. Like, they, they won't give anything back. And the third thing that's wrong with idols is they will, they will always, without fail, end up losing their shine and disappoint us. So in the case of the golden calf, they didn't get much of a chance before Moses came down and destroyed it, but they gave themselves to it, they sacrificed to it, it gave them nothing in return, but after time, it would have literally become tainted and dull. And the same is true for idols today. And if you pick an idol that people go for today, you can see these things being played out. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you, uh, you save up, you pay a deposit, you take out a loan, and you get the car of your dreams. Not a Kia, obviously, but the car of your dreams, right? Now, a few years ago, you could never imagine that you could possibly have been able to afford a car like that. And on the day it arrives at the dealership, you wake up, and there's that sense of excitement in your heart. You've fully justified the multi-thousand-pound deposit and the five years of crippling payments. Because today, you will be the person that owns that car. You bring it home, you enjoy all the new car comments from the neighbours, all of a sudden you find yourself washing it all the time. You spend time in Halfords looking at the waxes, polishes and sprays available. You get involved in something called detailing. You love to be seen in the car, you post selfies with it on Instagram, Facebook and Snapchat. And when the likes roll in, you get that little hit of dopamine that tells you that you have made it. And somewhere in the depths of your heart, you will be genuinely heartbroken if that machine was to be scratched. And for a period of time, you take pride and self-worth in that car. But over time, maybe a few months, that initial love starts to wane. So you invest. You sacrifice more to the car. You get a personalized number plate or rim stickers or something like that so that people can tell it's not quite as old as they think it is. But one day, you'll open up Auto Express, and you'll find that there's a new model coming out. And before you know it, you see the newer version of your car passing you on the road. You Google it, and you find out that the new version has keyless entry, LED running lights, and an extra 12 horsepower. And then in your heart, the pride that you once had for that is that little bit tinged. As time goes by, there comes the odd scratch, maybe a bit of corrosion, and the car doesn't hold its place in your heart that it once did. 
And so we succumb to the internet and Google's targeted search results, and before you know it, the next new car is on order, and the cycle starts again. Does that sound a little bit like reality? Think about it. Consider this, right? Does that person need to make sacrifices to acquire that car? Yeah. They're willing to sacrifice their time, effort, and money into that vehicle. Does the car give anything back? No, of course not. It's just like the golden calf. It's just a fancy lump of metal, but with wheels. Does it ultimately end up disappointing us? Well, yeah, because it will wear out. It will tarnish. It will rust. There's always a new model coming out. You always end up behind. And so when we go after these things, what do we do? Do we end up saying, well, do you know what? I've learned my lesson. I'm not doing that again. No, of course not. We just go looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's why you can buy almost anything on credit. That's why advertising is so incredibly powerful. And here's the reality. As human beings, we are just hardwired to this stuff. We are hardwired to worship something or someone. And if we're not going to worship God, then we're going to go after idols. And this is the reality of millions of people that we see all over the world every day. This is normal. So what can be done about it? Well, we know what idols are. We know the effects they have on humanity. But how do we find what we're looking for? How do we find something better? Well, let's look at what Moses did. So he comes down from the mountain, gets angry, has a bit of a tantrum, breaks the stone tablets in the process. He deals really harshly with the Israelites. He grinds the golden calf into powder, makes the Israelites drink it, enlists the help of the Levites to help him kill off the ringleaders, and goes up back up the mountain to talk to God and try and appease him. And he says this to God, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. So here's what Moses is really asking here. Please forgive them, and if you won't forgive them, he says this, Blot me out of the book you have written. In other words, Moses is saying, punish me, take me, sacrifice me. Take out all your anger on me and not on them. Moses here is trying to take the place of the Israelites. He is trying to sacrifice himself to appease God. And what does God say? No. He says no to him. No, Moses, you, you can't satisfy my anger. You can't appease me. Why? Because guess what? Like, I mean, was, was Moses a decent man, right? We've been listening to Exodus for weeks now. Do we reckon Moses, good guy, bad guy? Decent guy. Yeah, he's all right, isn't he? Yeah? Is he someone with his faults? Yeah. If you look back in Exodus earlier on, you find he murdered someone. The simple reality is that Moses wasn't good enough to appease God's anger. Moses couldn't atone for the Israelites' sin because Moses himself was also a sinner. And in this story, it does point to something else, though. There is a parallel here. It points to something else or someone else. Because what we see here is Moses trying to be a savior to the people and trying to satisfy the anger of God. And Moses doesn't cut it. He doesn't make the grade. 
Moses has made his mistakes in life. He's just a sinner, just like everyone else. But there is someone who came later. There is someone who can satisfy the anger of God. There is someone who walked this earth, never sinned, and offered themselves as a sacrifice. Not just for one nation or people group, but for the entire world. And no surprises for guessing, his name is Jesus. And that means for us, when we come to looking, we come to idols, everything changes. Because when we come to sin today, right, and idolatry is a sin, we know that Jesus has already paid the price for it. But not only that, we also have a choice. As we just we walk around this world day in, well, day in, day out, we can choose. Do we want to worship idols or do we choose to worship Jesus? Well, let's compare them, right? So as I said earlier, idols require sacrifice. Yeah, so if you, if you worship an idol, it's going to take up your time and resources. Does Jesus require sacrifice from you? Yeah, it kind of does. What does Jesus want? He wants your whole life. He wants your whole life. But here's the difference, right? If you give your life to idols, you get nothing back. But if you give your life to Jesus, you get everything back. An idol won't save us from our sin. An idol will not love us. It won't watch over us. It won't care for us. But Jesus will. An idol will enslave us. But Jesus came to set us free. As John chapter 8 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. An idol will ultimately disappoint us. At some point, it's going to let us down. People will disappoint us. Clothes will go moldy. Cars will rust. But Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us. Lamentations chapter 3 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It never gets old. And we can see this played in, played out in churches around the world every Sunday. Okay, let's have a quick check on this, right? Quick survey. Uh, stick your hand up if you've been a Christian for more than, say, 30 years. Okay, quite a few people. All right, okay, let's, let's go. Okay, how about 40 years? Hands up for 40 years. Still quite a few people. Okay, 50 years? Good effort. There you go. <laughs> okay, been a Christian for 50 years, okay? So, um, have you not got it sorted yet? Like, you've not got the knack of it. Right, okay, fine. <laughs> but you're not bored. No, you're not bored. Why? Why? Because Jesus never gets old. The gospel never fades. As Christians, we never get to the point where we go, do you know what? I've got this nailed. Yeah, I have mastered Christianity. We never get to that point because Jesus has always got more for us. More knowledge, more love, more grace, more purpose, more than we can ever possibly imagine. As the hymn by Annie Johnson Flynn says, His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And so what do we do? I mean, really practically, what, what do we actually do about this? Do we all go and buy sensory deprivation tanks and go and sit in it with our Bibles? Okay, and just sit there and go, I will not have idols, I will not have idols, I will not have idols. Is that a solution? No, of course not, right? Let, let's say we go, let's say, okay, we've made, you've made a point, Tim. I'm going to go and see if I can find an, uh, identify an idol in my life, right? Let's say that that idol is a person or a relationship. What are you going to do about it? Do you just end it and walk away, right? Goodbye, children. 
Um, the freezer's full. You're on your own. Good luck. Right? Do we do that? Okay? What if it's a possession? Do we just get rid of it? Okay? Hallelujah. I have sold the car. Right? I can't get to work, but I have sold the car. Right? We need to live in the real world. So here's what we do. Right? We need to understand what is or might be an idol in our lives, and then we just need to deal with it. Make sense? But consider this, right? This is a question for you. What makes an idol an idol? What makes an idol an idol? We do. Take the golden calf as an example, right? At what point did it change from being a lump of metal and into an idol? It's when the Israelites worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and gave themselves to it. The idol didn't do that for them. They did that to it. And in our lives, we do the same thing. Take me as an example, okay? I do own a mountain bike. Is it an idol in my life? Might be. But it is just a mountain bike. It is just a bunch of gears and wheels. But the question is, have I made it an idol? Have I made it an idol in my my head, in my heart? But if we idolize something, we can also deal with it too. We can also, if you like, de-idolize it. So here's what we do. We identify the idol. We choose to turn away from it. God says to Moses, my people have turned away from me. But we can also turn away from the idol. We can instead choose to come back to God and worship Jesus. And that's the battle, right? That's the challenge. Because, and, and, we, and once we've dealt with the idol, we just move on and then look for the next one that might well come along. And just before you think, well, that sounds like rather a lot of hard work, Just hear this, right? Without Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can accomplish all things. He gives us the power to do that. It is through all things. I can do all things through him him who strengthens me. Not only that, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, for though we live in the world, right? Notice that we actually have to live in the world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's what we do practically. We take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We literally choose Jesus. So when the idol says, come and worship me, sacrifice to me. We have the power to stop and fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what we do. We choose something better. We choose Jesus. And I'm going to be finishing just fairly shortly, so can I ask the band to come back up, please? Thanks, guys. So what do we learn from all this, right? So Moses couldn't appease God for the Israelites' idolatry. But you know what? Jesus can and does. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad of that. Like, I know I need all the help I can get. When the Israelites built that golden calf, they called it a god and said it would literally go before them. And it never did that. It couldn't do that. But Jesus can and does go before us. And I'm glad that I worship a God and a Savior who goes before me, who knows the details of every situation and every potential idol that might come and roll along into my life. And he's right here, and he's right in the mix, and he's there to deal with it too. And in my life, I've, I've had my idols, and I probably will again. But I also know that through Jesus, 
I am forgiven. Through Jesus, I have the power to turn from them. And through Jesus, I can worship the living God. He will give me joy and meaning and purpose. And that will never grow old. Amen? Can I invite us to stand, guys? Thanks. Because we're going to worship again just in a moment. See, here's the good news, my friends. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter whatever idols you may have set up in place of God, do you know what? God saw that coming anyway. That's why he sent Jesus in the first place. And yes, there's a challenge. Do you know what? Yes, there's a battle. We've all got that. But Jesus gives us everything we need. He has forgiven us. He has given us the power and he gives us the victory. So what we're going to do, we're going to worship and then we're going to pray.